your Bibles. Our, our reading for the second Sunday of Advent comes from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to start at verse 26 and go straight through to verse 38. Known as the Annunciation to Mary. Beloved, lift up your hearts and hear this word of the Lord. Give you a chance to find it in your Bibles if you're reading along. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved of God, according to St. Luke in the passage before us today, the ordinary in God's economy of salvation is the context for the extraordinary of God to break into this world. This is to say that the ordinary, ordinary places, faces, people, times, are the context for the extraordinary power and love of God, the transformative love of God in Christ to break into this world and begin doing God's work. Luke actually works very hard in the passage before us this morning to give us this impression. More specifically, the extraordinary angel Gabriel, we see in our text, is sent by God in ordinary time to an ordinary place, to an ordinary girl with an ordinary name, but Gabriel is sent into all of this ordinariness in order to extend an extraordinary greeting and bring her extraordinary news. Let's just unpack that phrase for a second together. First, the extraordinary angel Gabriel. Gabriel is only one of two angels in the entirety of Scripture to be mentioned by name. The only other one being Michael. Gabriel 
is said to be one of the most high-ranking angels in the heavenly community in the throne room of God. There is a first century non-canonical text that says that Gabriel is the glorious one who's in the throne room of God and considered to sit not at the right hand, but at the left hand of the Almighty God. In the book of Daniel, after Daniel has a dream, the angel Gabriel is sent to him to interpret the dream. And this dream concerns the time of the end. And now, it is this extraordinary, glorious, radiant, luminous luminous angel Gabriel that is sent by God into ordinary time. And it is ordinary time. In the sixth month, Luke begins. That's planetary time, according to the seasons, days, and years of the rotations of this earth. And then it's more specific, in the sixth month since Elizabeth conceived John the Baptist. That too is incredibly ordinary time, according to the gestation of a baby in the womb over the course of nine months. It's Gabriel enters into the world in the sixth month of nine months in the sixth month of 266 days, in the sixth month of 40 weeks, in the sixth month of three trimesters. Beloved of God, the extraordinary angel Gabriel enters into ordinary time, and then he goes, Luke tells us, to an ordinary place. And that is, to put it generously, Nazareth, in the town of Galilee. You remember the old quip? about how they say that birds will fly upside down in certain cities because there's nothing worth dropping their bird exhaust on? Well, Nazareth was much like that. Nazareth isn't mentioned a single time in the entirety of the Old Testament. When Nathaniel finds out that Jesus comes from Nazareth, Nazareth, he says what? Can anything good come from Nazareth? It was a podunk, backwater, out-of-the-way kind of place that people mostly didn't know about. This is probably why Luke qualifies it and says, it is Nazareth in Galilee. Nazareth was at best ordinary, but Galilee too was at best ordinary. When King Solomon wants to give a gift to the king of Tyre for providing him with the materials in 1 Kings for building of the temple of God, He gives him all sorts of gold and silver and wood and helps him. He gives him the land of Galilee, the region of Galilee. And how does King Tyre, the king of Tyre, respond to this wonderful gift from Solomon? He goes to the land and he writes back to Solomon. He says, what is this that you have given me, my brother? This land is going to be called Kabul, which means good for nothing. Beloved, the extraordinary angel Gabriel is sent by God into ordinary time, and he goes to an ordinary place, and then he also goes even further to an ordinary girl. Between the ages of 12 and maybe 17, betrothed to be married, a Jewish girl, not from one of the great nations of the world, hasn't made a name for herself, has no celebrity status, hasn't accomplished anything in her life yet, is in a poor, impoverished town of no name in a region that is Kabul. 
And then she's not only a girl, but she is a girl with one of the single most ordinary names of the day. Mary is one of the most popular names in the first century for girls. And just out of interest, it might uh, interest you to know that in the United States of America, year over year over year, Mary has been the most popular name out of all names for many years, Patricia running a close second. But in the years from 19. 80 or 1880 to 1946 and then again from 1953 to 1961 mary was the single most common name for baby girls that were born during those years the extraordinary angel gabriel is sent by god into ordinary time to an ordinary place to an ordinary girl with an ordinary name but he enters into all of this ordinariness and extends an extraordinary greeting and a truly extraordinary piece of news. First, the greeting. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Greek snaps and crackles and pops. Kyre kakaratomene. Kyre kakaratomene. Literally, greetings favored one. Greetings, blessed one. Greetings, beloved of God. Imagine the scene. This effulgent angel, one of only two angels named in Scripture, comes from the throne room of God in all his luminescence and glory and says to this girl with an ordinary name in an ordinary town in an ordinary time, Kyre! And then this piece of news. The Lord is with you. (laughs) And when the angel Gabriel says the Lord is with you, as my former professor Daryl Johnson liked to see, he meant with you. Because he meant within you. The God above transcendent becoming imminent in the womb of Mary. The incomprehensible becoming comprehensible in her womb. The uncontained becoming contained. He who is light entering into a dark place. You want to talk about extraordinary? The Lord is with you, and the angel meant with you. I don't know anybody who has expressed this better than John Donne in his poem, La Corona, when he expresses the paradoxes of God becoming human in Mary's womb. And so he says it to Mary. O Mary, whom thou conceivest, conceive. Yea, thou art now thy maker's maker and thy father's mother. Thou hast light in dark and shutst in little room immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. Whom thou conceivest conceived, yea, thou thou art now thy maker's maker and thy father's mother. Thou hast light in dark and shutst in little room, immensity cloistered in thy dear room. Talk about extraordinary news. The living God, Mary, is going to live in you in the form of a human being whom you, the one who gave birth to you, you are now going to give birth to. 
the one who fathered you, you are now going to mother. Extraordinary news indeed. And it doesn't stop there because the angel says you are going to have a son, indefinite article, who is going to be the son. And then Luke alludes to passages in Scripture which show that the one whom Mary is going to bear into this world, God himself, is going to fulfill the promises of God himself because ordinary human beings couldn't do it. And so God has come to do it himself. He is going to be the son of David who is king over all. Psalm 2 here flickers in the background. God says to David in Psalm 2, You are my son, and today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be warned. Be wise, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, the Son with fear, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. The son whom Mary is going to bear is going to be this king over all, establishing God's eternal kingdom of love and justice and peace, of forgiveness, of the salvation of the world, as we learned, the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of human people, human beings in reconciliation to God and reconciliation to one another. Beloved of God, the, the ordinary is the context for the extraordinary work of God to break into this world. The extraordinary angel, Gabriel, is sent by God into ordinary time, to an ordinary place, to an ordinary girl with an ordinary name, but he enters into all this ordinariness in order to extend an extraordinary greeting. You are my favored one. And it's truly extraordinary news. The Savior of the world is coming in and through you into this world. And I have an unbelievably simple message for us this morning in light of our passage. God is continuing to do this today. Entering into this world with His extraordinary transformative power in ordinary time, in ordinary places, to ordinary people with ordinary names. And he's doing so by means of the proclamation of an extraordinary greeting. You can be the beloved of God. You can be the favorite of God. And extraordinary news. The Savior of all has come. We who find ourselves in darkness and in a broken world, there is hope because indeed the Prince of Peace has come to this world. Beloved of God, what I want to underline and drive home today is that the Lord of this universe wants to do this through us, ordinary people, with ordinary names in ordinary places at ordinary times. And he wants to do this principally by empowering us to share this extraordinary message, this extraordinary news. God has come to save sinners through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus fulfills the promises of God to David. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's establishing His kingdom in this world today. And by this, people's hearts will be cut, they'll be renewed, and the kingdom of God will be built in this world. 
May I remind us as a church that one of the principal tasks that we are given by our Lord is simply this. He says it at the end of Luke's Gospel. He says it again at the end of uh, Matthew's Gospel. You will be my witnesses, my disciples, from Jerusalem to the ends of the world. Do we remember that one of the things that we are to be on about as the Church of Jesus Christ is sharing the extraordinary news? Not only by the way that we live our lives, to be sure, and the way that we labor in this world, but also by having the courage sometimes to say to people who do not yet know the good news, Jesus is Lord. He's come to save sinners like you and me. He's establishing His kingdom on this earth already, and His kingdom will never end. I find sometimes in the Christian Reformed Church, and I can only speak for our own denomination, but I've been around this denomination my whole life, that we have an incredibly hard time going to people we don't know and declaring these words, sharing this news. Or if we do, we feel that we should probably read six books on how to evangelize your neighbor so that we can get the right technique, become endowed with the right methodology. Sometimes I think we need to trust, brothers and sisters, the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that we get stupid with our evangelistic means and we just are reckless in the way that we share the Gospel, but sometimes I think we need to hear this word. The name, there is power in the name. There's power in the name. We can trust the work of the Holy Spirit who goes out ahead of us to work in the hearts of people. If you look at the book of Acts, this is how it happens. People are amazed because the Gospel spreads through unlettered, common, ordinary people. And that phrase comes up, common, ordinary people. Peter, a fisherman, not great with eloquence, stands up after the Holy Spirit fills them. Yes, indwells their womb with the presence of God Himself. Peter stands up, and not because of his great oratory, not because of his great homiletical skills, but because the power of the Holy Spirit is present. He essentially says, the one whom you crucified, God has made Lord over all as certified in His resurrection. And people are cut to the heart. And many are added to the church in that day. And you read through Acts. And people go out as a new community is formed and they say, Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit does His work. And people come to know the truth, the saving truth about our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we trust the power of the Holy Spirit to bring home this simple message? I always take great comfort from the book of Jonah. In the third chapter, Jonah goes out and preaches the world's worst sermon ever heard. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And the king and all of his subjects in the entire kingdom, including the animals, repent and are saved on that day. Friends, our hope, as Charles Colson once said, and is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation, but our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And Christians embracing the call of God upon us to be His witnesses. Again, I am not talking 
about stupid evangelism. But I am saying sometimes we need a little bit more courage than we have. Do we know that there is power in the name and that the Holy Spirit goes out before us? And do we know how important it is to bring this message to our world, especially today, with all of the things that are going on and all the questions that abide and remain? Bill Gardner and Lori Gardner, some of you will know them. They were members of our church here for years. Uh, they were here a couple of weeks ago. They'd moved down to Toronto. And they were here when I preached a sermon called uh, Tired, Dog, Tired, a sermon on weariness. And I encouraged us as a body on the basis of that text in Isaiah. I encouraged us to remind each other of the hope that we have, right? That our future is secure. Like Lenny and George, to remind each other of one day we're going to be tending the rabbits kind of a thing. And how we, in difficult times and in our weariness, say, you know, it's okay. This too will pass. I know it's hard, but this too will pass. And to share each other the hope that we have with each other. And Bill came to me after the service, the front hearing, and said, really appreciated that. We so desperately need to hear that. I've heard of so many people who are indeed weary. And many of you came and said the same thing to me, either by email or personally afterwards. But then Bill added, you know, and he said, Ed, and I just, it struck me as you're saying this, just how much our world too, not only those in the church, but our world too, needs to know the hope that we have, that there is a life beyond this life, that we can be reconciled to God in this day, that there is a joy of the Lord and a peace that passes all understanding. Does our world not need to hear this too? And I was convicted, and I thought, yes, of course it does. And we need to embrace again this role to be God's witnesses. I end with this. This past week, I um, was to have the extreme pleasure of meeting with my former professor, Bruce Waltke. I, Curtis says I mention him from the pulpit all the time here, which I believe he has had a huge impact on me, and I adore him, something fierce. But I was to have um, time with him alone with my friend Ivan up in Whistler for a day on Wednesday. So he was, well, he was going to drive up on Tuesday, and then we were going to spend Tuesday night, Wednesday together, and then sometime on Thursday. But Bruce got stuck at the border. Um, and he got stuck because there's a new app that is apparently required. This is totally extra aside from the sermon, just so you know. You need to download the app before you get to the border. So anyways, Bruce didn't know how to open his phone, he couldn't get the app on, so they sent him back to Seattle, which is very unfortunate for us. Nonetheless, we spent a couple of hours on Zoom together on Wednesday and studied Psalm 95 together, which was wonderful. After we studied Psalm 95, Bruce said, hold on a second, I've got to go to my car. I want to read you something, but I left the letter in my car. And then Bruce continued to tell us that he's been uh, receiving letters from a um, Oxford or Cambridge uh, PhD who decided to become a missionary in uh, Central Asia. Um, he wouldn't disclose his location. He does not disclose his location in these letters because he can't, so it's generic. Um, but he constantly sends Bruce and some of his other supporters letters of what's going on in Central Asia in his missionary activity. And Bruce wanted to read us this one story, and I want to do likewise, because I found it very encouraging. It's a story about a seven-year-old boy whom this missionary had shared a very simple message of Jesus with along the lines that I've been saying in this message. Nothing overly complicated. Essentially, Jesus is Lord, 
He can forgive sins. Your life can be renewed. The Holy Spirit came in. This boy became a Christian, shared the message with his parents. They too became Christians. And then a couple years after um, this boy became a Christian, he fell ill and died. And the story picks up there with, um, with that, with the boy's death. So I'm going to read you this. This comes from the mission field. Funny. Okay. Uh, they were desperately poor. We became friends. Um, a friendship which has continued since then. Near the end of this child's earthly life, I was on a ministry visit in Central Asia. In fact, the day I arrived, they were the first family I went to see. The child was gravely ill. I prayed for them and told them that I had just landed earlier that morning in the country and would come back the following day. That evening, I was called to go to the hospital. The little boy had been taken to the intensive care unit. Early the next morning, he died. The grief-stricken couple were taking his body back to their village about 10 hours away. They asked me to go with them. I agreed, but there was not enough room in the small van. I found two friends, one of whom had a car and reluctantly agreed to drive me to the village. Through a blizzard the next morning, we finally reached this isolated settlement. A crowd had gathered. Upon our arrival, a procession began toward the small derelict ruin which was their cemetery a few hundred yards away. They buried the child. Afterward, we headed toward the home of the grandfather, who was also the elder and the white-haired chief of this community. In the primitively poor sitting room were crammed together 50 or more people. The silence in the room was broken when the elderly tribal chief turned to me and in his deep, resonating voice said, I am told you are the man who converted my son and grandson to Christianity. The unexpectedness and brusqueness of his statement jolted me. I felt he was going to vent his sadness and anger on me, and I would be trampled to death by a mob. I replied, no, sir, I did not. God converted them. He was staring at me, all the while rolling his massive mustache around the tip of his finger. After a long pause, he asked, Would you explain to me the teaching of the prophet Jesus? One of the men who had hesitantly come with me into this out-of-the-way region was too dangerous and hence was not the will of God. This man was sitting next to me. He elbowed me and whispered, here, they cut your throat so fast you won't know you've lost your head. Be careful. Be careful what you say. I began with our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, went to the Gospel of John as I explained who our Savior is and why he came into our world and what he has accomplished in our place on our behalf. I explained that the Messiah came to our world for our salvation to wash away and cleanse the fatal infection that has contaminated the hearts and minds of men beyond description. This heavenly person came to wash our souls clean, set us free from the bondage and addiction to sin, rescue us from a certain death, give us life, peace, and hope, and ultimately take us to be with him forever. His supreme commandment is love, love for God, and out of the overflow of that love, love for our fellow men, even for our enemies. And that word is encapsulated and fulfilled all the commandments of God through the ages. When I stopped, the elderly chief was reflecting on what he had heard. He was no longer staring at me, 
but at the ceiling with tears streaming down from his eyes. He collected himself and once again broke the silence and asked, How do I become a follower of this person? How do I become a Christian? He turned to the others and said, I have not heard anything like this. Have you heard this before? I have never heard anything so beautiful and so profound. Then he turned to me again and said, How do I become a follower of the Messiah? I replied, Sir, if you believe in your heart all that I have said and make an open confession before this gathering, then you have entered into a covenant with Christ to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. He stood up from the head of the room, came to where I was sitting, sat next to me, and put one hand on my shoulder and held my forearm with his other hand and said, I believe. I asked him to bow his head and pray with me. As I began, our Father, who art in heaven, suddenly the entire room bowed their heads and began to repeat after me. I paused and said, No, you cannot pray this. You cannot pray this unless you believe in your hearts. This means you will abandon your religious traditions and become a disciple of Christ. An elderly man and some of the others said, We believe. Unsure what to say and what to make of all this, I returned to my prayer. And then they continued to repeat after me. That morning, from what I could see, nearly everyone in that room made a profession of faith in our Lord. The funeral of a believing child had turned into a joyous occasion as we spent the day speaking about the Lord. The following morning, a large crowd had gathered in that same room, but these were not the same folk I had seen the previous day. They were the second layer of the extended family and friends coming to express their condolences. This time, the father of the child spoke and said, My brother died in an accident. I grieved for three months. No one was able to comfort me. Yesterday, I buried my own son, my own flesh. But I am not grieving because God has given me hope of life and resurrection and a peace that passes all human understanding. Pointing to me, he continued, Here, the doctor from America can tell you how you can have this hope and this peace. We had a repeat of the events of the day before. Once again, after I finished talking, everyone in the room prayed. By now, I was persuaded that something unusual was taking place. This happened for three days. Beloved of God, the extraordinary God is breaking and erupting into this world in ordinary times, in ordinary places, to ordinary people with ordinary names by means of an extraordinary greeting. You too can be highly favored of God. He loves you. And he sent his son to make all things new. Let's pray. Lord, what an encouraging story this is indeed. We thank you for these notes, notes from the mission field afar and the way that it encourages our hearts. We pray that you would give us wisdom, courage, discernment about how we too can not only live lives that manifest the truth of the gospel and exhibit that you indeed are king over our lives. We demonstrate our allegiance to you 
but also, Lord, how we can share this verbally with people so that they too may know um, that you are the gracious God who renews our lives. Give us this grace, Lord. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Convince us day by day of the truth of the word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.